And so it's very important to step back and ask ourselves some of these deeper questions, such as what does success mean to me? What sort of impact do I want to have in the world? And then have the courage to build our life around those answers. Many of us are exhausted and drained and tired, not because we're doing too much, but because we are running somebody else's race. And so we'll never get to a point in which we feel we have arrived because somebody will always change those metrics and destination. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. This is Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 86 of the podcast, in which we are joined by Simon Alexander Ong. Simon is a personal development entrepreneur. He's a coach and a public speaker who began his working life as an investment banker. He says there then came a point in his life where he realised he wasn't particularly fulfilled at work and the nature of his work wasn't conducive to a healthy life well lived. This was then the point at which he decided to make a career change and fully step into coaching. Simon has a new book out which is called Energize with the strap line, find your spark, achieve more and live better. In this episode, we spoke a lot about his own career journey, some of his experiences of burning the candle at both ends and how he has learned about and made some positive changes as a result. As you'd expect, we also spoke about his thoughts around leadership. I couldn't have a guest on this show and not ask him their view about leadership. And I also asked him some very specific questions about the parts of his book that really resonated with me and the parts that really intrigued me. And courtesy of Penguin Books, I have a copy of Energize to give away to one lucky listener. If you'd like to get your hands on that book, all you need to do is click on the prize draw link in the show notes, which will open up a web page where you can simply enter your name and email address and we'll enter you to the prize draw. Then if you are the lucky winner, we'll be in touch, ready to send you your book in the future. So do check that out, folks. That is it for the introduction. So without any further delay, let's dive straight into my conversation with Simon Alexander Ong. Simon, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, first of all, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. And Ben, thank you so much for having me on your show today. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Simon, I thought we would start off. Can you just give us, if you will, a little of your backstory and the journey that got you to being a coach and then that led to you uh, writing the book? Sure. Well, I was born in the southeast of England to two Malaysian Chinese parents. And I grew up with this belief, Ben, that success was defined by my job title. So be a banker, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. And so because I was a very stereotypical Chinese, I was shy, I was introverted, head down, wanting to be the best that I could be in my class and in all the subjects that I took, I ended up pursuing a role in the banking industry. And so after graduation from the LSE, I started as a graduate in the in the city in the middle of 2007, which was probably the worst possible time to start in, in banking because this was a year before the financial crisis. And just to make things a little more interesting, the company that I was a graduate at was Lehman Brothers. 
which collapsed into administration uh, just over 14 months after I first joined. And so while it was a very painful and shocking in some way experience for me, because I never imagined that literally my first job out of university, I would be redundant within just over a year. In hindsight, it was a beautiful blessing in disguise, as I think these things often are, you know, only on reflection do we begin to understand that within the challenges, setbacks and failures we go through, it also equips us with the insight to create the best moments of our life. And so this experience acted as the catalyst, if you will, to make the longest journey that we humans make, the inches from our heads to our hearts. Never never an easy one, but the most important journey that we will ever embark on. And that led me to what I now get to do today. I became very curious about the world of business and entrepreneurship because I thought that as long as I worked for someone, much of my destiny would be out of my control, i.e., would I get a promotion? Would I get a bonus? Uh, would I get an increase in salary? Well, a lot of that would be determined by people a few pay grades above me. And I wouldn't have direct influence on that uh, in many cases. And so as I embarked on this journey of following my curiosities, I started one business in the MLM industry. I started a second in the food industry, both of which didn't go particularly well. But as I said before, they taught me lots of things. They taught me business skills that I would not have learned otherwise. And then my wife one day came across an advert that was scrolling on her social media newsfeed. And she knew I've always been somebody that loves to help people. I'm the sort of guy that people would come to when they're going through a challenge, a crisis, or just need someone to share their goals with who can help them navigate the obstacles that they face. And she said to me, Simon, you should pop along to this two-day event in London. It's over Saturday and Sunday. It costs nothing. So you're only really going to lose your weekend by going to it. But I think you could enjoy it. And so with an open mind, I went to this two-day event held in West London. And it was really about the field of coaching. It was, well, how can we apply coaching principles and skills into the world of work and to help transform people's lives? And I went in a little bit as a, as a skeptic, Ben, and I came out that Sunday afternoon at the end of this two-day conference, somebody who wanted to change direction into this new career of coaching. And within a few days after I got home, I ended up going onto the website of this company and signing up to two of their courses in order to get certified as a coach. And all of this was done on the side of a full-time nine-to-five job. And that is why during this period in which I was exploring my curiosities, I, I kind of felt like Superman, but without the superpowers. I would be going into work with an ironed white shirt, tie and suit. And in my gym bag, I would have my now customary black t-shirt and jeans that I would very quickly switch into in the toilet cubicle to dash out to meet potential clients or go to a networking event to really make progress in, in what I really wanted to do long term. And so eventually I exited the world of employment. I plunged into the path of entrepreneurship, and I started off as a coach working with people in leadership positions. And then from there, things just started to grow and develop to where it is today. I was invited to speak at a number of events, and for me, speaking is a very powerful marketing tool to get your voice and message out to the world. And two, just over two years ago, that helped me to land a book deal to write my first book with uh, Penguin Random House. And how long did you spend in the in the corporate world 
Simon, how long was you a sort of commercial banker for and kind of how long was that period sort of running those two initial businesses? Sure. So I was uh, in employment for nearly 10 years since I entered the banking industry in 2007. And I was always in between jobs because it was such a volatile industry post-crisis. So even if I could get a job, the question was, how long could I keep it? Because all the companies were making cuts, they were restructuring, and they were trying to adapt to a world in which people hated bankers. (laughs) You, You know, we had seen this massive shift from a society in which if you worked at one of the big investment banks, then you were considered powerful. You were considered highly respected within society to this complete shift in which you are now considered to be the enemy of society. And those who were in the startup and tech world suddenly became the people that people wanted to spend time with. And so I was in and out of work for uh, nearly 10 years. And I deliberately moved my work away from the intense stress of of working in finance, because you, you can often work long hours in the financial industry. So I deliberately shifted my focus to get jobs that were more comfortable for me in the sense that it was more nine to five. So I had the time outside of work to explore what I wanted to do. And I signed up to that company to pursue my qualifications around 2012. And so it would take a few years after that before I then had the courage to leave behind the world of employment and move into the world of entrepreneurship. Because I think that process is also one of transitioning from an employee mindset to an entrepreneur mindset. And they're two very different mindsets. And for me, I had to make that journey mentally first before I could do it in reality. Yeah, and it's interesting, Simon, that you mentioned the stress and pressures of working in the financial services sector there, which is partly why I I just asked, asked that question. I mean, I think particularly commercial banking is certainly considered from the outside to be sort of high pressure, high stress, an environment where people working in that environment are burning the candle at, at both ends. Mm. So really what this leads me to, to ask is kind of you've written the book, Energize, sort of making the most of every moment and kind of managing your, your energy, which we'll talk about in a bit. I, I, I wonder how much of the journey of writing that book was sort of your own kind of healing. Were you always naturally good at kind of managing your energy and health and health and stuff like that? Or kind of during your time as in in the banking sector, were you exhausted, experiencing burnout and all of that? Like, what did that look like for for you? Great question, Ben. And and, and not at all. I've not always been good at managing my my energy. And in a way, the book is very much about my journey. It, It sort of parallels my journey, as well as the lessons I've learned along the way. And it's why when I I started writing the book, the first chapter takes place at the time that I was the most burnt out in, in that corporate career. It was in my my, my second role uh, as a junior trader. Now, on the outside, it sounds glamorous. Simon is a junior trader at a hedge fund trading billions of dollars of money in the equity market. But on the inside, it wasn't as glamorous as that, unless you were the senior portfolio manager, unless you were one of the, the, the top individuals of the company. If you were in my position as a junior, you were very much the T-boy. You, you were getting everybody's lunches. You, you were sorting out any errors and issues with the team. And it was very much an operational role rather than something you would see in a, in a Hollywood film. And when I was working in this company, I would often be in the office around six or seven in the morning and very often not out until 10 or 11, sometimes later at night. 
And so my health was literally being killed physically and mentally. I wasn't getting sufficient rest and sleep. Anything of that I could catch up with, I was doing so on the commute to and from work. I was surviving on junk food and takeaways, and I just didn't have time to exercise. The only exercise I really got was running after buses and trains in order to make it to the office and back home. And so there was one day in which I went to a client event after a long day of work. And once you go to a client event, you know you're not going to be back home until the next day early in the morning. Now, before I went to this uh, event, it was a nightclub underground. Uh, it, It was hosted by one of the partners we worked with. And I dropped a text to my girlfriend at the time, and I said to her, I'm going to take the last train back, uh, so not to worry, I'll see you at home, I'll take the last train back. And that was before I entered the underground club, because once you go underground, the network cuts off, uh, and I, I forget that I check my phone into the cloakroom, and then the alcohol starts flowing. And now, I, when, I, when I talk about alcohol flowing, I mean, this is on free flow, it's all covered, so... I didn't have to pay for a single drop of alcohol that night. And so once that happens, before I know it, I'm a bit tipsy. I'm, I'm confused where I am. And I look at the clock and it's well past two o'clock in the morning. And so I end up stumbling into a taxi. I get back home around 3.30. I'm sunk in the bath. And my girlfriend, as you can imagine, was just really tearful because she was worried about what had happened to me. I, I mean, she couldn't get hold of me. There was multiple calls, multiple texts. I just didn't respond. My phone wasn't with me and it was cut off from the network. And when we had a a sort of deep heart-to-heart conversation when I was sober uh, the next day, it dawned on me the harsh reality that I was using TV binge-watching, partying and alcohol as a way to escape the harsh reality that I was lost. I had this perception of what I wanted to do with my financial career, a perception driven by what I believed to be successful. But actually, deep inside, I was unfulfilled. And and it really taught me the the distinction between success and fulfillment. You You can look successful and feel successful at what you're doing. But if you really don't find fulfillment in that job or path, then it's not really worth it. And that's what I started to realize is that if this role was killing my health in such a drastic way, was it worth it? And so at that point, I stopped making my physical health a side hustle, Ben. I made it a priority. Uh, and that's when I resigned from the company and I wanted to choose jobs in finance because that's the only jobs I could access at the time that would give me the time to rebuild my health. Yeah, and you've potentially answered this all, already, but how easy or difficult did you find it to act on on that realisation? Because I suspect that realisation is maybe one that quite a few people have where in their gut or in their heart they they know they're they're not enjoying their job or they're not fulfilled or they truly yearn to be doing something else but for whatever reason they just feel stuck or maybe they are stuck to a degree because they've got children and a mortgage to pay like how easy did you find it to to act on that and I guess maybe like what tips are there to to share with anybody who in their heart of heart knows they're that they're not on the right path. I mean, the very first step is to, as, as you said correctly there, Ben, is, is to be aware that you're not on the right path. Many of us just simply don't pause and reflect on where we actually are and where we are relative to where we want to be. And so we're just on autopilot every single day. And for me, what I share in the book is that you can't have self-development or self-growth without self-awareness first, because you simply can't change what you're not aware of. And that is why 
the beginning of true wisdom is understanding yourself first. And that was the process of me doing so, helped by my girlfriend at the time. And that's why I think having supportive friends around you, whether that's your partner, colleagues, uh, mentors, or friends can be vital to help shift your energy to, to that which matters to you. And then the next step is to really understand that unless you take action to change where you are now, it's going to be far more difficult to do so later because we always push off the things that are most important for the things that are, well, trivial in comparison. Uh, I mean, how many of us, for example, have spent hours or weeks planning our company's projects for the year ahead, planning what our company is going to do to expand into an international territory, yet we haven't even spent a single minute planning our own life? Yeah, absolutely. And and so it's very important to step back and ask ourselves some of these deeper questions, such as what does success mean to me? What sort of impact do I want to have in the world? And then have the courage to build our life around those answers. Because what I've noticed, Ben, is that many of us are exhausted and drained and tired, not because we're doing too much, but because we are running somebody else's race. We are measuring our progress against metrics that we have no control over. And so we'll never get to a point in which we feel we have arrived because somebody will always change those metrics and destination. But once we begin to take ownership and responsibility for those definitions and get clear on it, that's when we begin to awaken our own personal energy and have the desire to want to take those steps to move forward. Mm. But this is the rub of it, right? And the, the challenge for so many people that when they're in a busy job, maybe a high pressured job, a senior role. So work is busy. Life outside of work is busy. It feels like we're on that hamster wheel, right? It's the classic hamster wheel analogy. And we're just running and running and running just to keep keep up with everything. And maybe in the back of our mind or in the bottom of our heart, we realize like, God, I really should pause and take stock, but, but I've not got time. So I, I've just got to keep going. And it's, it always reminds me of like periodically you see it pop up on LinkedIn as a meme or, or a Lego picture where there's some guys dragging like a big heavy sort of a trailer on square wheels and there's someone behind them waving a pair of round wheels going, hey guys, look, this might help. And they're like, sorry, not got time for that. We're too, too busy. <laughs> Again, what's your advice for those people who just feel they can't stop and, and pause? Because it is, time is the key, right? Time to pause take stock, reflect, do some of that kind of um, inner work, perhaps. Like, how can, how, how can we find the time to, to, to pause and, mm. and do some of this stuff that we both know works, right? But Definitely. I, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot harder than it sounds, but two words to basically sum up what I want to say is to slow down. Slowing down in a world that is increasingly getting faster, busier, and noisier is a superpower. And it is actually what would differentiate you versus other people in your field. It, you know, trust me, it is challenging. If you are somebody who is in a position of leadership, if you are ambitious, then the hardest thing for you to do is to slow down because there's so many things that you want to achieve. There's so many projects that you want to participate in. And so the very idea of slowing down can be counterintuitive to what you've grown up understanding. You think that, well, if I'm not doing something, if I'm not active in, in pushing something forward, then I must be unproductive. I'm lazy and I feel guilty. And so what happens is that we enter this vicious cycle of planning some rest, but then never taking the rest because we feel guilty by taking it. Mm. 
And we therefore, unfortunately, see, Ben, in, in this world, this tragic scenario of so many of us on this planet living as if we are never going to die and then facing death having never really lived. And that is such a tragic scenario. But when we begin to schedule in our calendar me time, periods to slow down, as much as we do our social events and work meetings, we begin to take back control over our day. Because if we want to design our life, it begins simply with designing our days. You can't expect to create a life that is fulfilling and one that you can be proud of if you can't even design your own day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, it always reminds me of the Stephen Covey quote, which is, the goal is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Mm. Now, actually, if you think about that too deeply, it, it kind of stops working because <laughs> I, I, I won't go into it. I'll leave people to kind of really ponder and reflect <laughs> on that. But as long as you don't consider it too deeply, it, it absolutely works, right? Mm. And I, I do think our calendar so often is one of the most powerful yet most underutilized tools, right? We simply use it for scheduling in meetings with other people when we can schedule in me time as you said or quiet time or just blocking out time to work on our highest priorities but but we don't we just let it get filled up with other people's priorities i think definitely and i don't know if you've uh, you've watched this interview on youtube uh, before ben but there's a there's a fascinating interview on the charlie rose show in which he is interviewing two billionaires bill gates and warren buffett and he's interviewing them about their, their friendship together that they've had over the number of years they've known one another. And he says to Bill at one point in the, in the conversation, Bill, I'm curious, what have you learned from Warren from your time together that has had the most impact on you as a person? Bill shared two thoughts. The first was that he should never give his money to his children. And so that ended up with him opening the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So he would use it as a conduit for social causes. The second thing for me was the most interesting, Ben, because Bill said, when I first looked at Warren's diary, this is a very old school diary, it's paper and pen diary. When I first looked at Warren's diary, I was shocked by how many blank pages there were in his diary. Because when I compared it to mine, mine was busy. Every page was back-to-back -back meetings, meetings with stakeholders, meetings with my colleagues, meetings to present to my company, and travels, travels related to the business. And it made me think that this is no way to live. This is no yeah. way to live, to be in and out of meetings, never really getting to enjoy life. And by the time I do, it's already past me. And so he said that was one of the greatest lessons he learned from Warren by looking at his diary. And so if you are a Netflix viewer, you may have seen uh, a docuseries about Bill Gates' reading weeks, how he would take yeah, yeah, weeks yeah. away now from work just to read and note down his thoughts in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And it was as a result of some of these lessons that he learned from his friend Warren Buffett. Yeah, well, I'll try and find the link to that clip and put it in the show notes, folks, for everyone listening, because it's amazing, isn't it? Because it is one of those old school narrow diaries <laughs> in your jacket pocket and he pulls it out, doesn't he, on the, in, in the video and you can see it. Yeah, amazing. Simon, let's come back to the, to the book for a second. You've talked around it a little bit already. Just give us the sort of, if you will, the two to three minute kind of elevator pitch overview of, of the book. And then we can dive in and I can ask you a few, few questions on it from when I had a flick through. Definitely. So at its core, 
the book is about educating readers that once we begin to understand how to manage our energy, and when I'm talking about energy, I'm talking about it from the perspective of your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual energy, then you become somebody who can transform your life and career. And here is why. We all are energetic beings. Now, in Maori culture, they call it mana. In my Chinese culture, they call it chi. If you are a fan of the Star Wars series, they will call it the force. (laughs) Now, whatever we call it, we are referring to the same thing. And the way I like to describe it is that energy is is a language that has no words, yet you and I know what it is telling us. You and I can feel it. It's like when you walk into a room to meet, some new people at a networking event, and two people come up to you, you will naturally be drawn to one over the other simply because there is something about him or her you cannot pinpoint, but you are just attracted to want to start a conversation with them, yet they have said not a single word to you. And that is energy in motion. And this is basically the meaning of emotion. Emotion is nothing more than energy in motion. So there's something that is awakened Uh, an emotion inside of you that wants to make you start a conversation. Now, the challenge we have is to cultivate that, to channel it and protect it in a way that we are in energetic flow, i.e. we are working towards something meaningful, and yet we are grateful and content in the present. And that is one of the toughest experiences for people to to go through. Amazing. So what was your favorite chapter of the book and and why? What was the chapter you enjoyed kind of creating the most when when reflecting through the book ben the chapter i i enjoyed writing the most uh would certainly be chapter two chapter two was uh, or is my favorite because it's the most personal it was the most personal chapter i wrote and because i'm so aligned with some of the activities that i i share with the reader in it in in the chapter i speak about the loss of my mum when i was 17 how that impacted my view of the world and how it shaped me to who i am today i talk about gratitude you know something that the author pam grout in her book thank and grow rich notes as being the gateway drug to abundance and how when we express it with intention then what happens is that we start to see opportunities and beauty that we were previously blind to so how do you personally kind of use use gratitude then do you have a daily gratitude practice that you run through what does that look like for you so i do it for a few different ways ben so one of them uh, is a tool i share in a book called Uh, a GPA. Now, a GPA is not the grading system in the United States school system, but GPA in in my world stands for gratitude photo album. And so while not all of us will have a notebook and pen in our jacket pocket at any given moment to jot down what we're grateful for, chances are you are always going to have a smartphone in your pocket. And so with a smartphone, you can start to take photos of things and people and experiences that you can be grateful for and then save them to a folder in a library in which you can look back on whenever your mood drops or where you feel low on energy to remind yourself of some of the things that you can be grateful for. Because you want to make this process as easy as possible and not put too many barriers in front of you. And what I found, Ben, is that simply taking your phone out, taking a selfie with someone you haven't seen for a long while, uh, taking a picture of the uh, sunny skies that you woke up to in the morning, once you start collecting this and putting it into a folder and looking back at them, It just sparks the visual part of our mind because it's visual, whether it's a video or an image, it reminds you that moment that there is so much to be grateful for. So the first thing is leveraging uh, the concept of a GPA. Second, 
when I talk about gratitude with intention, it's actually as expressing it in very creative ways. So I've grown, and I'm sure uh, many of us now as we've become adults, we've grown from enjoying getting given presents at Christmas to enjoying thinking about what presents to give to other people, whether it's our children, it's a, it's a friend, or it's our employees. And so for me, I'm thinking, well, why do we just have that for once a year? Why don't we think at regular points throughout the year, who has helped me in the last week or the last month or the last quarter? Who has helped give me an opportunity or refer me new business that I would not have had otherwise? And how could I express thanks to them in a meaningful way? And it could be anything from a small box of chocolates to sending a, a small gift uh, to connect them to an opportunity that you know that, that will benefit them. These things don't have to cost much. It's the gesture that counts. And so the second thing I say is, well, how can you express gratitude with intention, thinking about the people that are supporting you and helping you on your journey? Because when you do that, the impact it has, not just on the recipient, but on you as well, is incredible. So those are the two things to help you think different. Third would be the same thing we all know, is I write down the things I'm grateful for, but I write them down in as much detail as I can. But it's really the first two ones that are slightly different to what you may normally hear. Yeah, this is an interesting serendipitous conversation, actually, because in preparing for, for our chat, I hadn't planned specifically to hone in on, on gratitude. And it's something I've been thinking about, contemplating, writing a blog about, doing a solo podcast episode about really around gratitude. So for probably best part of seven years now, I've done a daily gratitude practice, which is writing down in a decent amount of detail, three new things I'm grateful for. Sometimes there'll be big things. Sometimes there'll be super small, practical and tangible. Sean Aker from Harvard's done a lot of work on this, right? And he talks about gratitude practice teaches our brain to scan the world and the horizon for things that are, that are good. And whilst I've done it for years, even in my line of work as a coach working in the leadership and personal development space, sometimes you have those days where you go, and I don't know if you do as well, where you pause and go, does this stuff really work? Is this really making a, a difference to me? Because we can still have bad days and weeks where our energy and mood is a bit low and you think, oh, is this gratitude practice really, really helping? And the bit for me where now I'm absolutely convinced it did is that I lost my father six six weeks ago, quite unexpectedly. Sorry to hear, Ben. Yeah, thank you. So I suddenly got the call that he'd had a cardiac arrest. I literally jumped up from a desk, started heading over to, to Essex as quickly as I, as I could. And I phoned my sort of stepsister kind of when I was halfway there and said, Eleanor, where am I going? What hospital am I going to? And she just said down the phone and said, Ben, they're not, dad's not going to hospital. Mm. And straight away, I, I, I knew, knew what that meant. And I managed to, um, when I arrived at the house, dad was still there because we had to sort of wait for the undertakers to, to collect him. And as they do, people keep asking me now, since like, how are you? How, how, are, you, how are you coping? And actually, I'm, I'm doing really well. And very quickly, mm. I found things to be, to be grateful for. So I was grateful that I got there to, mm. to see him and I was able to process it and say, say goodbye. And I actually was clear in my mind that I was grateful for that. Like my dad was always terrified of hospitals and, and getting ill. So I'm grateful that he died quickly in his own home and wasn't, didn't have a period of prolonged illness. And actually, I'm, this may sound strange, actually. Um, it took a while before, before he was sort of found at home, which meant 
kind of it's too late for the paramedics to to, mm. to bring him back because they did an amazing job working mm. on dad for a long time but again actually i'm quite grateful that he wasn't found sooner because had they found him soon and revived him he might have had brain damage or kind of been kind of really unwell for a long period of time and suddenly went actually like this process of gratitude it really does i think sort of retrain the brain to scan the world and look look for for the positives i think so it's it's something that i think you can quite easily think oh that's a little bit uh kooky or <laughs> does that stuff really work or i've not got time for it but it, it's it's powerful stuff isn't it it's it, it's so powerful I, I mean when i've been embracing it over the years ben it's so closely connected to the fact that there is no one reality there is only our customized realities so the way you interpret an event may be different to the way I do and different to uh, our friend or our partner's way of interpreting an event. And that simply means that we are living in the feeling of our thinking moment to moment to moment. And so our thoughts, whether negative or positive, pessimist or optimist, literally shapes the fabric of our reality. And so when we live through the lens of gratitude, then the experience of life is so different. And I think, as you said, it can sound to the uninitiated quite woo-woo and, and abstract. But I've had experiences where, from, from even a professional perspective, it has been so powerful, Ben. You, you know, I've sent event organizers, I've sent producers, I've sent clients, I've sent friends small gifts to thank them for a referral, or thank them for reaching out to me to consider me as a speaker for their event. And I remember one time when I was invited to uh, be interviewed in Sky News. It was only six minutes, but for me, it felt like six seconds. And after I left the building, I said this to the security guard, I said, could you give me the names of the people that reached out to me uh, to invite me onto, onto Sky News? And he said, sure, I hear the names. Uh, let me know if anything else I can help you with. I said, sure, that should, be, that should be fine. So I come home and I order a hotel chocolate hamper to send to, to these producers, just to thank them for bringing me onto, onto Sky News. Because for me, it's a big deal. I've never done live television before. And I was just so grateful for the opportunity. And they sent me a WhatsApp message back and said, Simon, that was such an incredible gesture. Uh, you know, it's only the third or fourth time this has happened. They definitely want to thank you. And so it's such a beautiful way to build relationships with people to the point that I remember in another case when I needed to use an event space to host a, a, an event I was running, I sent a message to the organizer and said, can you let me know how much it would cost me to book out this space for the weekend? And she replied to me and said, Simon, don't worry, it's on us. We haven't forgotten the way you treated us three years ago. And it just goes to show that when we live from a place of gratitude, when we express gratitude with intention, then what happens is that becomes infectious energy. People want yeah. to be in your field. People want to be associated with what you do because there is such a beautiful feeling that comes with it. Yeah, it's an amazing story, isn't it? It's um, Not only is it a nice, good, decent human thing to do, but also, if you look at it from a, a business world, it just makes good business sense as well, doesn't it, to, to, to treat people well? Because what goes around comes around, as they say. Definitely, definitely. You know, one of the, uh, the books that have had the greatest influence on me, and I've had the pleasure of having one of the co-authors, Bob Berg, as, as a mentor to me, is, is The Go-Giver. And in that book, which I reread every year, there's a statement that goes, 
your worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And I think it's that part of being someone of value that is so important, whether that's in the business world or when it comes to our personal relationships. Yeah, spot on. Um, Simon, there's so many other questions I, I, I could ask you. I'm just trying to pick a few that I really want to ask in the, in the time that we've got left. And I really enjoyed the section in your book around turning obstacles into a source of energy. And again, quite serendipitous because I've literally just finished reading um, for the second time, actually, Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. Mm. Now, I, I, I loved some of your sort of questions that you suggest in there, sort of asking ourselves, what else could this mean? Where's the opportunity? What can I learn from, from this situation? But I guess the question I, I have for you is, how can we re- remember to apply those teachings in the moment? So when we are in the midst of a really challenging situation, something that on the surface of it, we could see as a major setback or a major, major obstacle. Mm. How can we try and remember to, to think differently? Maybe especially if we are slightly more of a pessimist let's say than, a, than an optimist because intellectually mm. when we sit and read the, the book and what you're teaching on a good day we go oh yeah okay like where's the opportunity kind of what can I learn from this but it's hard to apply in the moment isn't it so what what advice or tips would you share there definitely well it's two things I, I would suggest Ben the first is to be more comfortable asking those sort of questions and to see the situation, the challenge from a different perspective, that is really about the transition from coming from a place of ego to that of coming from a place of humility. Because when you come from a place of ego, your thoughts when something does not go your way is, why did it happen to me? Who's to blame? Who's to complain about this? And it's always about shifting the blame and responsibility to everyone and everything else. And so you lack the humility to realize that these things are inevitable and these things will happen in life, but to use it as a seed of an opportunity to come back stronger. And so when we can shift away from that place of ego and more towards humility, humility is asking questions such as, what did I miss? What else Mm. could this mean? How can I come back with a learning from this? So what's happened is that by coming from a place of humility, it is far more productive because you're now focusing your energy on something action-oriented that you can do. Whereas when you come from a place of ego, you're going to continue dwelling on that situation until you find an answer. In many cases, there is no answer. The event just happened the way it did. And so the first step is to really shift your internal operation system from a place of ego to a place of humility. And I think that will shift the way you see these sort of events. The second is linked back to something I shared earlier, which is the fact that we we live in the feeling of our thinking moment to moment to moment. And that means we have the superpower to choose one thought over another at any given moment, and then our choices and behaviors shift in an instant. And so what this means is that every one of us can choose new sets of more empowering beliefs than the ones that no longer serve us. And there's a concept that I share in the book, which is the opposite experience to the word paranoia. Paranoia is this belief that the world is out to get you, that you are a victim of whatever is happening, and that you're not meant to succeed. That's what we talk about when we say someone is paranoid. The opposite word and definition to that is pronoia. 
Pro-noia is this belief that the universe is conspiring in your favor, that life is right. working for you and not against you. So just imagine for a moment if you began to embrace pro-noia in your everyday life with that belief that life is working for you. Now, remember, I'm not saying it is true. I'm just saying you have the opportunity to choose your beliefs. Whatever beliefs you choose, that sets the blueprint and foundation of your reality. So if you took this up as an assumption, imagine how different you would approach events that are out of your control with that belief that life is working for you. So when somebody rubs you up the wrong way, instead of getting emotionally reactive, you're pausing and you're asking yourself, well, how is this working for me? Maybe they've just helped me in some way. Maybe I now know I don't want to do business with him or her. So when you operate from that perspective, it's incredible how much more peaceful you are, regardless of what happens around you. Yeah, amazing. That's really amazing. I've not never heard the, that word pronoia before. I think it proves the point again that sort of we just get much more of what we focus on, right? If we focus on the opportunities, what we can learn from a situation, we'll see the opportunities and we'll see see the learnings. Mm. It's, it, it reminds me what, what, what you said there, Ben, about focus, because I read uh, I read a book a few years ago by Cal Newport, uh, which talks about focus. Yeah. And there was a really interesting point in one of the chapters in which he noted that we used to, as a society, we used to measure IQ uh, by how much you knew. So they would present all of these challenges, and depending on your answers, that would give you a certain IQ. Now, in today's world, that measure is somewhat redundant, because when you pose a question to somebody, they can ask Amazon Alexa, they can type in the question to Google, and they got the answer within seconds. So now it's not about what you know, but it's about your ability to focus. So what he put forward is that today's IQ is more a measure of understanding how to focus and what to focus on because that differentiates people who continue to wish what they want versus those who actually take action on what they want yeah that makes sense simon i've got a few quick fire questions to to finish up if if we may first one which i normally ask at the very beginning of each episode what does leadership mean to you leadership to me means the ability to empower other people to become a leader in their own lives. And ultimately, when we think about leadership, if we want to lead others, it begins with powerfully leading ourselves first. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And other than your mobile phone, I have to caveat this now because so many people have said, oh, God, Ben, it sounds a bit obvious, but it has to be my mobile phone. So other than your mobile phone, what is one item that you would find yourself immediately having to replace if it was lost, stolen, or damaged? It, it, it's easy for me. That would be my uh, my, my watch. I, I need my watch. I do a lot of speaking, Ben, so without my watch, I can't time keep. I, I can't see how much time is left, where I have to be on stage. So for me, given the work I do, I would be lost without a watch. Uh, I just wouldn't know what time it is and where I need to be. <laughs> cool. And you've mentioned a few today, actually. What would you say is the one book that has really had the biggest impact on you? Well, I'm going to mention a new one because I've mentioned, as you said, I've mentioned a couple already. Uh, I would have said, uh, if I didn't already mention The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann, but another one which has had a significant impact on my journey is a classic. It, it is one written by David Schwartz. It is called The Magic of Thinking Big. 
Uh, and it was one that I read very early on in the transition that I made from employee to entrepreneur. And it ignited my thinking. It got me from thinking big and bold to thinking galactic and astronomical. And last question, which I'll, I'll let you change, actually, given the topic of your book. Normally, it's along the lines of what's your number one sort of product productivity hack or tip. So feel free to answer that. Or if you want to flip it to sort of energy, number one energy management tip. So you can answer whichever question you, you feel drawn to. Sure. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it because uh, my answer kind of covers both questions. It's about spending more, uh, more time pumping iron. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by mm. this because it's a nice play on words, uh, but you'd probably be thinking, well, what do you mean by pumping some iron? So I don't mean pumping iron as in going to the gym. Uh, the iron that I'm referring to is spelled I-O-N. And when I mean pump iron, it's spending time in environments that are flush with negative ions. Now, when you spend time next to the ocean, by a river, in nature, in a park, in a forest, hiking, these places are full of negative ions, i.e. the particles in those environments are charged with a negative ion. And that has a relaxing effect on, on our mind and body. It's why when you go for a walk uh, in your local park at your lunch break, you come back reset and rejuvenated. When we are indoors, there is a greater proportion of positive ions. So what I say in the book and I say to audiences that I speak to is this is the one environment that you should be surrounding yourself with negativity, negative ions in this case. Mm, nice. Simon, thank you so much for your time today. It's been been awesome chatting to you. I re really enjoyed the natural ebb and flow of our conversation. So thank you very much. Give listeners the details. Kind of how can they get in touch, maybe, find out more, and when is the when's the book available? Sure. Well, thank you so much again, Ben, for having me on the show today. Foley enjoyed our conversation. If you would like to order the book, you can do so by hopping onto the website getenergizedbook.com. That is energized with a Z. Otherwise, it is also available on Amazon and all good bookstores. If you want to reach out to me, have any questions on the back of this recording, I'm on all the major social media platforms, but the two that I'm most active on is LinkedIn. So you can search Simon Alexander Ong on LinkedIn uh, or Instagram. And my handle on Instagram is at Simon Alexander O. Awesome. Simon, thanks very much for joining me. Um, have a great day and all the best with the book. Thank you so much, Ben. There you have it, folks. That was episode 86 of the show. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you found it valuable. Do remember the prize draw, so do scroll through the show notes look out for that prize draw link click on it and add your details we can enter you in the draw to win a copy of his book and also before we go i'd like to give you another opportunity and this time it's an opportunity to have your five minutes of fame to put it that way i'm looking for listeners to join me on the show for a few minutes to talk about a particular episode that really resonated with them and to share something that they have done as a result of listening. So if this is you, please just drop me an email to chat at ben-morton.com telling me which episode you loved, what you've done as a result, what you learned, what resonated, etc, etc. You get the picture. And then hopefully I'll be back in touch with you to have a chat and arrange a time to record a little segment that we can insert into a future episode. 
But other than the usual request to rate, review and subscribe to the show, that's it for episode 86. Look after yourselves, take care and lead on. <laughs>